You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore. I'm back this week doing the intro bit, <laughs> and I am joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing this week? Hey, Robert. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. I happen to know. So last week we talked a little bit about preparing for Gray's birthday, but I know that yeah. it was your birthday this past week as well. So happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it was a good, good day. A little weird mm. not being able to kind of do the normal like getting yeah. to hang out with everyone and everything. But yeah, but it was good. I felt I felt deeply loved by my family and friends. So well, good. It was a good day. Did you yeah. Did you have like, you know, a bunch of people hop on a Zoom call and try to sing to you or anything? (laughs) No. So we didn't do that. I did get some FaceTiming in with some loved ones. So that was good. And we actually had, so this was a little fun. We had one of my kiddos school, they did a parade like through all the neighborhoods. And so that was one of the things that we got to do on my birthday in the afternoon was go outside and watch Callie's whole school like pass by our house with all of the teachers and administrators. And um, that was a lot of fun. And then just getting to see the neighbors. So that felt that felt like a sweet little, just a sweet yeah. little thing that we got to do. Yeah. Rather than, you know, just FaceTiming and hanging out. Yeah. So. You should yeah, have had Corey run out in like right in front of it and have like a banner that says like, like a happy the, birthday. The, yeah, Holly's birthday parade. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I think I I kind of tried to steal it to think like, oh, this is my birthday parade. This is for me. Yeah. But you know, it's a, it's okay. It's you know. Yeah. But what about what about Gray? Because the last time we talked was just before Gray's birthday. We did do a Zoom call. Right when he woke up from a nap with like a bunch of family and friends uh, and like had people sing to him and then he ate a cupcake. Um, Mm. And I'll say this, that a a Zoom call, and this isn't specific, I've seen this in other instances, uh, so it's not, I'm not like hating on anyone in particular, uh, but when people try to sing together through a Zoom call, (laughs) it's because the delay of like things going back and forth, it's wild. Oh man, I wish now I wish that I would have set up a Zoom call with my family just so I can get my phone out and record them all trying to do that. Gosh, we are in it's there's just so much awkwardness like all the time. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you this. Here's my like intro question. Yes. Speaking of Zoom calls and mm-hmm. then leading into an interview about communication. Yes. Of all the various options cuz we have a million options right now. Yeah. What is maybe your most, like your favorite and then your least favorite way to communicate with people? So honestly, I will always say that my favorite way to communicate with people is in person, always, just because I I love the opportunity to hold space with them and like pay attention to their body language and hear, you know, the inflections without like, you know, Wi-Fi going out and freezing and all the things. <laughs> um, so it's always going to be in person, but I do love FaceTime at least as a way to kind of swap that right now. And as far as least favorite, I don't know. So I, so I've recently gotten back onto social media and that has actually been a funny learning curve, like getting back onto it after not being on like Facebook for about a year and 
Instagram being on and off. And I think there are things I'm loving about being back on it. And and maybe that would be my least favorite too, because there's not that space mm. for like intimacy and being able to just like get to know a person in their heart. You get like a few characters to be able to communicate with them and then that's it or yeah. a handful of characters and and it's not just one-on-one it's you and them and like everybody else who can see it so that that's yeah. like there's like a push-pull with that but that's what I would say yeah, yeah. what about you um I think you know in person is I, I still love in-person stuff obviously as well while being thankful for the technology that we yeah. have right now yeah um I think so not so much the specific social media like itself mm-hmm. but the fact that there are I have inboxes on like every oh possible my app gosh. drives me yes. wild. Yes. Okay, I'm getting Instagram DMs and Twitter DMs and Facebook messages which now is its own app as Facebook Messenger and right. then emails and I have like too many email accounts and if I could get and I'm sure this exists somewhere but something that just like pulls all of that together it's all over the place and so I think Yeah. All the various little inboxes all over the place uh, would be my my answer really? of like, how do I keep track of all this? You yeah. Know? Yeah. They're really frustrating and hard to keep up with. Well, speaking of communication, do you uh, do you want me to talk about this episode or you talk yeah. about Yeah. No, no, no. Go for it. Dive in. Yeah. We are joined this week by Dr. Heather Thompson Day, who I know we both have interacted with some on Twitter mm-hmm. and things like that. And so she is a communications professor, an associate professor, right? Yes, that's sure right. That yes. Right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> High five. And I left that in when I edited, by the way. That's, so, oh, did you? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And she, so she comes on to talk about communicating and we, we cover a wide variety of things actually in terms of mm. communicating with mm-hmm. individuals like your spouse, your partner or friends or communicating to an audience and even how that translates to public speaking or online or things like that. And so we cover a lot of ground in this episode. Yeah. I loved this one and I really loved getting a chance to connect with Heather. She's wonderful. Anyways. All right. We will stop communicating for a yes. bit here and transition into our the interview. Uh, and this is our conversation with Dr. Heather Thompson Day. All right. Enjoy y'all. So today we are so excited to have on the show Dr. Heather Thompson Day. She is an interdenominational speaker and contributor for Religion News Service, Newsweek, and the Barna Group. She's an assistant professor of communication at Colorado Christian University, and she's the author of a number of books. Uh, Heather, thank you for coming back on again. We tried this once before, and uh, we're doing a, a redo here. So thank you for that. How are you doing today? You know what? It's going well. Just learned a lot about um, copyright and fair use laws with a lecture that I was doing with somebody. So I am coming into this conversation smarter. (laughs) That's always good, I guess. Right. I've learned a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I want to make one clarification that I heard Robert mention that you were an assistant professor, but you are actually an associate professor. Of communication. Look at that, an that academic. Correct? You know, you know that that. I matters. know that matters. Yes, I do. <laughs> That's you know what it's typed. I'm looking straight at it, and it says associate professor. And I guess my brain just read nope. it incorrectly. You so are good. I I would have put money on that. I said associate professor. So my apologies. That's what happens on <laughs> quarantine day thirty two or whatever day we're on at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Man. Well, aside from uh, being a first time, second time guest, uh, <laughs> we already recorded we recorded one and it was fantastic, but it disappeared into the you know, into the clouds. So um is there anything else that our audience should know about you? You know, I think the most important thing to understand about who I am and what I do is that I am super passionate about equipping people with just better communication skills um, and understanding that. Because I think a lot of times when we look at communication, a lot of times we think that it has to do with being a great order or showing up on podcasts and being able to say the right witty thing. And communication, I tell people all the time, is so much more about listening than it is about speaking. And so that's what I'm passionate about talking about. I think it's a really important, pertinent topic, especially today in our culture and society and the time that we're living in, is just kind of encouraging people that we have much more ownership of our communication than we realize because we have ownership of when we decide to listen. Mm, that's really good. Yeah. yeah. I think we both took that away real quick, that what you had just mm-hmm. mentioned about communication isn't about saying the right thing, but it's about listening. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as someone who teaches communication and obviously you just right there talked about it being really important to you, can you tell us a little bit more, why is learning about communication and how we're intentional with that? Why is that important? Because I think for a lot of us, when we think communication, we do think, you know, kind of just, oh, the way that I say things or, you know, the way that I tend to explain things or whatever it is, right? But why are these, why is this a, a subject that you say like, hey, I'm going to show up and teach every day with all these students and talk about on my, in my free time and stuff like that? Yeah. So the greatest contributor to your happiness outranking how much money you make, the car you drive, the house you live in, how much education you have, the greatest contributor to your happiness is actually your relationships with other people. So Mm. once I discovered how important our relationships to other people are and how we perceive our lives and ourselves, I personally believe that communication is probably the vehicle by which we engage in relationships with one another. So I think it's a conversation that we have to keep having. And most people go through life and they just say, I'm a competent communicator. Like if I was to give a random survey right now to listeners and say, how many of you text A, how many of you believe that you are a competent communicator? Text A. Most people would text A. The average person says, yeah, I'm totally competent. I talk every day. The average person we know is totally incompetent when it comes to communication. And the reason is this, the definition of a competent communicator is somebody who has the ability to change their message to fit their audience. Competent communicators have the ability to change their message to fit their audience. And what that means is we can't go through life and say, um, it doesn't matter. And this is what I hear a lot sometimes from um, Generation Z, and this is nothing against them because I love Gen Z. I'm a huge mm. proponent of like, just that God has called them to this time in Earth's history for a specific purpose and reason. Uh, but something that I think they struggle with is this concept of like, it's not, it doesn't matter. Like I said it once, I said it twice. If you don't understand what I'm trying to say, then it's not my problem. And I push back on that a lot because I love communication so much. And I'm like, you guys know this is your problem. Like if you're the person who has a message to be communicated and it can't be understood because you aren't taking the time to, uh, to say it in a way that the person who you're talking to can actually receive it. Whose problem is that? 
And I'm because my background is so much in ministry, I'm really passionate about having these conversations in a church context. Because often I think what the church has done so much in life is to take what the church often does is they say, here's the truth. And if you don't receive it, then that's on you or you're broken or defective in some type of way. And so we go through life as Christians often and we we try to we try to drag people over to our messages and great communicators become really skilled at bringing messages to people. And that's a totally different thought process. You stop saying, how do I drag you kicking and screaming over to how I view this? And you start saying, how do I change this so that I can say it in a way that you can receive it? That's what great communication is all about. And it takes a lot of time. And then why I say it, it has to do a lot with the listener is because you really can't communicate really well unless you've taken the time to really know who your audience is. So great communication Mm -hmm. is always first about listening to who the audience is and trying to then say, okay, now that I know this, this, and this about who you are, I can change this message in a way that you will be more likely to receive it. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. I actually, I was just telling Robert, I think in some ways I'm really, I mean, we would have, I would have listened back through it when the episode came out, but I am so grateful for the live, like getting to hear you unpack this again in the way that you're unpacking it, because I mean, it's just so, it's such good content that we need to hear. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to be getting to hear it all over again from you, even though it's different, but yeah. Yeah. This is so like often what we'll do in the church, and this is the example that I'll give to my students a lot is, well, first of all, we say things that are totally untrue. Like there's a war on religion. Right. Or we say that like, oh, well, this generation is just no longer they're not holy or they're not spiritual. And I have to push back on that because for number one, 82 percent of of people in the United States believe in a higher power. Eighty two percent. The overwhelming majority of people in this country believe that there is a higher power. What we are disagreeing on is the communication by which you define that system. Right. And here's the thing. This also, I think we talked about this last time. So I'm glad my brain just brought it to me again. What (laughs) often, what you have to understand about communication is that 90% of the time, the terms that your brain uses to under, I mean, or I'm sorry, the unpacking that your brain does to understand the terms that I'm saying is different than what I'm, what I'm thinking. Does that make sense? So, like, if I just take the word God, if I just take the word God, Studies show that 90% of the time, you will have a very different understanding and perception of what God means. Mm -hmm. Even if we are from the exact same denomination, you will still 90% of the time, your brain will provide you with different understandings about what it means or what God looks like. And then I step back and I watch, I'll see people in my church or people that I grew up with. Um, and we just argue with people and try to beat them to death over, well, you, how dare you not believe in God? Well, what if the God that they are rejecting is a God that you would also reject? And let's take it a step further. God himself would reject. Like, what if the image of God that people are, that has been communicated is not who God is at all? And we would all do ourselves a service to reject that image, right? So I like to have conversations with people where we start, my husband will tell you, because I do this all the time with him and he's probably annoyed by it at this point. But the number one thing I train my students to start doing is to say to people, what do you mean when you say that? 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think you mean, and what you actually mean are two very different things. What do you Mm -hmm. mean? God, what do you mean when you say love? Because oftentimes like we'll be in what we believe are disputes with people, but we've never checked each other's perceptions of those word meanings. What we call in communication is a term called bypassing. We bypass one another with our word choices because an example I give is when I was um, dating my husband, he would say, I can't remember if I told you guys this in our first conversation. Um, When I was dating my husband, he would say to me, "Um, Heather, I, I really, I just, you know, I, I care about you. And I was like, okay, what does, uh, in my brain, I thought, okay, I think he's trying to tell me that he really likes me, but that he's not ready to say, I love you yet. I couldn't understand why he kept saying, Heather, I care about you. Now Mm -hmm. that I know my husband, I understand that my husband really struggles with any type of vulnerable communication, even still in our marriage, he struggles with it because he's been hurt so much in the past just by um, abandonment with his father and all this stuff, right? So for him to say, I love you is just a very difficult thing for him to say. When he said, Heather, I care about you, that was him shouting from the mountaintops, Heather, I love you. I want to marry you. But because I never checked his perception, I never said, hey, why do you keep saying that? What does it mean? When you say I care about you, what does that look like for you? What does that mean? So what we could do in a relationship, right? So I could have said, you know what? I think this guy's not in love with me yet. After six months or 12 months, I feel like we should be in love. Like maybe this isn't working. Maybe we should break up. And so sometimes because we never check the perceptions of other people's words, we actually end relationships when we, if we would have checked, we would have realized that we, they were saying different words to say the exact same thing that we would say just with different words. Yeah. Gosh, that is so good. So good. I love it. Well, and even when you were talking about the different views of God, I don't know if you've come across like, um, Dr. Frozen Bader's work around the four gods, but there's, you know, there's research that even talks about how we will use that word, but mentally we have very different views. And I mean, there's plenty of research. Theirs is my favorite though to talk about, but I just love that example because I, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I had a friend once and I was saying to her, we were talking about God and she said, Heather, I just, I'm sorry. Like the idea that there's this man in the clouds who is demanding my worship, it just makes me very uncomfortable. And I said, Mm -hmm. okay, but what if God is not a man in the clouds? What if God is love? And she literally looked at me like like a light bulb goes off in her mind and she goes, Heather, I could worship love. That makes sense to me. That doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. And so I realized, wow, like often we miss each other and we argue with one another over things that we, if we were to press further, we would actually agree on. Yep. That is so good. Yeah. 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 I'm so glad. I, I, yeah, I feel like we're going in a, you know, I like that more of this is getting woven in that didn't get in the last conversation, but so this is a lot of fun. I love hearing your, your thoughts on these. But I wondered, so I do want to circle back to one piece though, because clearly you are super passionate about communication. I mean, I I hear that from you and from what you're saying. Um, And I know writing is something that you're really passionate about too. Do you mind telling us a little bit about like how you got into communication and writing as a profession? Oh, so I always wanted to be a writer when I was I mean, like five years old, I remember telling my parents that I was going to be 
a writer one day and my dad, my dad worked in Broadway. So he was an actor um, before he had like a conversion experience and ended up leaving Broadway. But he would say to me, Heather, like, that's not a living. Like you, you can do that and that'll be fun, but that you're never going to, you're not going to make a living from it. The average author makes about a dollar or something F of every book that they sell. So to be a successful <laughs> author, right, you have to sell about a hundred thousand copies. I think it's, I, I think the statistic is something like 80% of books. It's like 70 or 80% of books never sell more than 5,000 copies. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you can be an author, but that doesn't mean, but if you're selling 5,000 that, Hey, that's pretty good. You did more than 70% of publications and yet you only made $5,000 that year off of your work. Right. Gosh. So my dad started saying, like, I, I believe in your talent, but you need to think of a full time job. And so I wanted to be a reporter. I was obsessed with Barbara Walters. I love Oprah Winfrey. And so I was like, OK, when I grow up, I'm going to I'm going to do a journalism degree and I'm going to be a reporter. And I went to the biggest radio station at 17 years old in southwest Michigan at the time. That's where I lived. And I asked them to give me a job. And through luck or coincidence, they actually gave me one and they allowed me to be mm. a little reporter for them. And they gave me this like tape recorder that was connected to a microphone. And I would literally just go hang out in Walmart parking lot or Target parking lot, wait for people to walk to their cars. And then I would come up to them and say like, hey, can you give me a comment for the evening news cycle today? And I would record that comment and then bring it back to the producers and they would weave it into the show. So I did that for... Um, about a year. And then I said to my producers, I was probably 18 years old now. And I said, you know, I really have a fantastic idea. You guys are going to love this. They were like, mm. what? I said, you should totally give me my own radio show. And they were like, no, mm. like that's not happening. We're not going to do that. Um, but I kept asking them and then eventually they gave me one. And I had a show that I did on, um, 97.5 Why Country. I did that for about a year. And then I, they moved me to 98.3 the coast and I stayed there for three more years. But something happened my sophomore year of college i took a general level communication course and it changed my life mm. um, when i realized that communication was really just like relationship building that for me i've always been a huge people person um, but when I, I realized that, man, communication people are the people in charge of building relationships between the institutions or the organizations that they work for and the target markets that these organizations are trying to reach. And I love people and I love the written word. I love verbal conversation. And so I totally like left radio. And at that time, I thought, man, I'll do this for the rest of my life. I'll just work in radio. Um, which now probably wouldn't have been the best career choice since so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so I ended up in um, a communication field and left broadcasting. And I think I taught at one point, I wasn't even fully sure. I thought maybe I'll work in book publishing. And then I taught a mini lecture one time for a course, I think like towards my senior year and my, the chair of my department pulled me aside and said, Hey, like you are a really good teacher. You should really think about this. And so I became, I said, let me explore that. And I ended up adjuncting a class while I was still in my master's program at a community college. And the very first class I walked out of that. And I remember I just cried in the parking lot and I was like, God, like, this is why you created me. Like wow. teaching for me and connecting with people and especially at a time, because I was at that time I was at a community college, being able to give hope to people who just often felt like, man, this isn't for me. School's not for me. I can't do this or a, a variety of different issues, poverty, all these things, being able to speak into that void 
and especially equip them with a skill like communication, which I know will pay and change their relationships. For me, it was like, wow, like this is why I'm here. Oh my gosh. Heather, I love this. I feel like you're, I just, I feel like all of my being just totally resonates and knows exactly that feeling when you're like, I was made to do this. Like when it comes to teaching and just having that like wholehearted love for teaching and, um, and equipping your students, not just with content, but with like these life skills. And I love that you were able to make that link. I think that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And my favorite thing is to, I've been teaching now for about eight or nine years and I'll get an email. I mean, I'll regularly get emails from students that I had. Mm-hmm. So, right. That are like, oh my goodness, what yeah. you said in class about relationships and communication she was like, I'm seeing this displayed right now. And I just want to tell you, thank you so much. I left this relationship. Like, thank you so much for this advice. And that to me is just like, oh, if, you know, I just feel like that's why we're here, right? We figure out what God has called you to, what gifts you're naturally designed and wired for. And then we co-labor with him and bettering the lives of the people around us. So yeah, that's, that's where I've landed. Oh, I love this. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so sorry we had to do another episode, but man, this is good. It's so good. <laughs> I'm happy. So I do want to ask, so this idea, and I love, I typed it in all caps in the chat box with Holly, right? Mm-hmm. That communication is really just relationship building. And you, you mentioned earlier that what makes a great communicator is listening, right? Like knowing who you're speaking to. And so I think, uh, you know, in my head, there's kind of two chunks here. One is interpersonal communication, right? So with uh, our partners or our friends or uh, our coworkers, right? Which obviously that's a little bit maybe easier, even if it's not our default to listen, but in a, in kind of an environment where there's, you know, social media and podcasting and uh, live streaming and preaching and all these things where you're kind of just speaking to huge chunks of people, how does that play out there in terms of like, who am I speaking to? I mean, how can I listen? I mean, like, what does that look like in an environment where we do a lot of talking, so to speak, and maybe a little less listening? Yeah. And so now I'll, I'll talk kind of from my perspective as like a person into like platform building and things like that on social media, because I think it is a very different use of communication. Um, but there's some broad brush strokes that everybody can take with them. So if you're trying to communicate online, first of all, and I say this to my students too, the same thing I think is true for preaching or public speaking. Um, I say to my students all the time, if I get up to speak, I assume before I hit that podium that every single person out in the audience is scrolling on their phone. So what can I say that will make them stop? Like, what is the one, the second I open my mouth, I do, I never open a lecture or a speech with how are you or, oh, wow, it's good to be here. You know, that kind of stuff that people often do is they're like setting up their papers. Mm-hmm. Um, I never open that way. The second I open my mouth to speak, I know I have about four seconds to get your attention. So what am I going to say? And my research has led me to storytelling. And I think the same is true for scrolling. So if you're scrolling on social media, what are you going to say that's going to force people to stop? They're seeing like hundreds and hundreds of other posts at the same time. What are they going to say? To, what are you going to say to draw their attention? And one of the primal ways that our brains are wired to pay attention to one another is through storytelling. I did my dissertation on storytelling and it's just Mm. so amazing. Um, So many ways, like every preacher should use storytelling in their um, sermons. Every teacher should use it in their classrooms. I did my dissertation on whether or not stories create engagement in the classroom and found 
that statistically significantly that y- it does. Oh um, it so stories are like 50% conflict, right? So it, every viral tweet that I've ever had has been a story. So it's not like this (laughs) accidentally keeps happening to me. I am intentionally changing my thoughts. Remember, we change our thoughts to fit our audience. I know that people are scrolling. If I have a thought that I think is a really powerful thought, often what people will do is they'll just post that thought. I challenge people to say, don't post that. Think of a story that tells that same thought. People's brains are automatically wired to pay attention to things in story. You put the conflict and then you say a story and then you put your thought at the very end of that post. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. And our brain. So, so what happens when we listen to each other tell stories is we release the hormone oxytocin, which is what makes us feel connected. It's the same hormone that we release when a mother is nursing a newborn baby. It's what tells her brain, you love this baby, connect to this baby. This baby matters to you. We release oxytocin when we listen to each other tell stories. So if you are to go in a job interview, the, when somebody asks you like, tell me what kind of worker you are, you should respond to that question in a story of how you've worked. And that person's brain automatically now is releasing oxytocin and they're feeling more connected to you, not because of what you said, but because of the way you presented the information. And if everybody else who comes in doesn't tell a story, you will probably stick out in their mind. And we can do the same thing online. You can do the same thing with social media. Uh, Another thing that I would say as far as like, how do we communicate online is stop just broadcasting for yourself and think about how you are relationship building using that medium, right? Because it's still about the listener. So how are you actively building relationships with the people that you are talking to? Um, And that has to do with paying attention to the stories that they're telling, affirming the things that they are saying, commenting back and forth. Those types of things are going to grow your platform because the the audience feels like there's a genuine relationship between you and that. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. That's good. And hopefully there is, right? I mean, hopefully right. you're not doing that purely out of like, oh, I got to interact with this person, but hopefully there's engagement because you care about this type of thing and mm-hmm. these people and, you know. Well, I think yep. people can tell that. Like if you don't care, what you probably do is scroll through your your own comments and say thank you. I just think it's really rare that somebody would take the time to comment and retweet on a ton of people if they didn't care. You know what I mean? Like people who yeah. don't care just don't. <laughs> and people who do yeah. care are going to be naturally wired to use it in that way. You know, I just read this study. Um, I was preparing a lecture on social media and I just read this study that said 80, wait, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. 80% of Twitter is controlled by 10% of tweeters. Oh my gosh. So that was super huh. fascinating to me. Most people are using it just to like scroll through and they're not actually broadcasting. So just you creating content is putting you in that 10%. Like you automatically become part of that 10% just because you're actively trying to use it as a tool for engagement. So then you just want to stay consistent. Yeah. Hmm. yeah that's Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Huh. I actually am curious, do you, would you feel comfortable like giving an example of like that, of that piece around like, um, how you had mentioned, like, think of a story to say the same thought instead of just tweeting out the thought, like, can you give us an example of how you've done that before? Yep. Let me read to you my pinned tweet right now. All right. My (laughs) pinned tweet right now. I love it. 
I had a student once who entered college with a 1.2 GPA. She finished with honors, a full-ride scholarship to her next school. She was the same person she was in high school. Only difference was in college for the first time in her life, she had a bed. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, instead of, yep. I could have just said, hey, you guys, our circumstances often override our actual abilities. Right? Like mm-hmm. there, there is truth in the statement. But instead, what I am doing is I'm telling you the story of a single person that exemplifies my actual point that I'm trying to make. And then that tweet went to 450,000 likes, 64,000 retweets. Oh it, I promise you, had I not done that in a story, it would not have. I think right, Bernie right. Sanders mm-hmm. retweeted this tweet, right? Oh so gosh. if you can put it in a story, and I say this to students all the time, I think it's just really crucial to st- to pause and say, man, this is a really great thought that I have, or this is a, a thought that's on my heart. What's a story that would exemplify this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know one of the things that you're passionate about is what you call compassionate communication, right? Can you tell us some about that? I know that's kind of a... a a shift in topic, but kind of not, it kind of relates, right? Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about compassionate communication? Yeah, I think it relates a lot because compassionate communication, if, so the, this concept comes from a book called words can change the brain and I don't have it with me on my desk right now, but I think it's, I I have it. Okay. Mark Wahlberg (laughs) and Andrew Newberg, right? Waldman and Newberg. Yes, Mark Waldman and Andrew Newberg. It's called Words Can Change Your Brain, 12 Conversation Strategies to Build Trust, Resolve Conflict, and Increase Intimacy. Oh my goodness, it's a fantastic book. It was one of one of probably the most life-changing books I ever read. I went on this journey where I just really wanted to dive into, into communication more. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to read one book a month um, on the same topic, on the topic of communication for the rest of this year. And by the end, I will have read 12 books on communication and I'm going to know so much about communication. <laughs> uh, that, that book was probably like the third book that I had read last year on, um, on communication. And it was just so life-changing for me. Um, to a, a lot of what I'm talking about, honestly, is probably hints of what I picked up as I read that book. So some of the strategies that it gives you to kind of slow down in your communication and, and try to slow down those, um, the internal dialogue that goes on when we're having conversation is one of the strategies that they say is if you're in a conflict um, to put 30 second pauses in between each word mm-hmm. while trying to discuss the conflict at hand. And what happens when we put those 30 second pauses is it causes our brain to slow down and regain, you know, kind of dampen the emotional control processors and regain that logical control processor and say, what is the action? What am I actually even mad at right now? I know you've been in a fight with somebody where you just start dumping on them, like everything that they've ever done that pisses you off. But when you, you can't do that if if you're going to pause 30 seconds between each word, right? I I can't at that Mm -hmm. point go into everything that you did for the last five years. So I'm going to, it's going to force my brain to really look at what I'm hurt by or what I'm upset with at this particular moment and deal with the actual conversation at hand. So that's one strategy that I picked up from that book that I always tell my students to do. My husband, I, I, when we're in an argument, I'll say, hold on, let's actually practice this. Let's, let's put 30 seconds between each word and and, and have this conversation again. And what they find obviously in the studies when they're, when they're doing this, they, I think they use it in um, like family law cases and mediation and people are 
able to come to conclusions, right, using their logical parts of their brain rather than just their emotional parts of their brain that may be processing a lot of hurt feelings that actually don't get you further in the conversation that you're trying to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put in a plug. I love this book as well. It's, I mean, that mine's all highlighted and underlined and I come back to it pretty often and and read things. So I'll put in a plug for it as well. But I wanted to say, uh, you know, I think that's, I think that works in kind of the, the social media type environment as well, because one of the things I've started doing is I thought, okay, if, if somebody, you know, tweets back at me or I see something and I'm going to like, I start to angrily respond, I'm going to put it, my phone down and I'm going to like go for a walk or something and I'm going to come back and read it again. And if it still feels like I really need to like send this angry response, then I will. But that's, I don't think ever happened. I've either decided, okay, this isn't a place that I need to engage or by that point I've thought of, okay, here's a way to respond and engage this person versus just kind of like digitally sparring. Um, and I think it, it's a similar concept, right? Of like, slow, slow down, think about what you're doing here, like, you know, be more intentional, things like that. Isn't that so powerful? And it, because it's so true. I can't tell you how many times I'll type out a tweet and then I'll be like, you know what, let me pause for a minute before I send that. And then when I pause, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I don't actually mm-hmm. need to send it. And I felt very impulsive about it originally. I, I can you, I'm not sure, Robert, I think it's in that book where it talks about like, if you're like, let's say what you just said, if you're going to go for a walk. So let's say I'm arguing with my husband and I say, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm going to go for a walk. The better way to do that is to say, I'm going to go for a walk, but I will be back in 30 minutes and then we'll have this conversation. Mm. So rather than trigger his fears of abandonment, I let him know I am coming back. We are going to have this conversation. I just need space at this moment. So those tiny little tweaks that we can do in a conflict are able to lower you know, our feelings of, of anxiety or frustration or anger in the conflict itself. Cause it, it, it's you still feeling validated as a person in this relationship, even though we are disagreeing with one another. Gosh, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I remember y'all talking about this last time too, and you're doing such a good job speaking so highly of it yet again. But I, I was just remembering, this was the one that I ordered like mid conversation um, because of all of these <laughs> <laughs> amazing takeaways and you know practical little nuggets for us to consider that y'all had talked about, so and y'all are just reminding me of all of them all over again. So yeah, so another good. thing from that, from that book is it says that um, this was really helpful for me as like a content creator that we only remember thirty seconds worth of anything that we've listened to. So if I get invited to speak somewhere and they say, Heather, we want you to talk four times for an hour a piece. And that happens all the time. That, that actually, like, what am I saying that people, if they're going to walk away and they're only going to remember 30 seconds worth, how do I control what that 30 seconds is? And so something that we do a lot in public speaking is just talking about like repeating our main points or repeating the titles three, four times throughout the message. That way I've controlled that 30 seconds worth of what you'll remember. I, I had, a, I did a chapel here at the university I'm at, um, I think like in October. And then this new semester started. And on the first day when I walked in, the, the guy in the very back of the row goes, oh my goodness, you're the lady who said, remember who you are. How in the world did he remember the title of my talk from four months prior? And it was like a 30 minute talk because I said, remember who you are probably 10 times throughout the midst of that 
that lecture and it's stuck in his brain. And I, cause I always think now, okay, what's the 30 second takeaway. So that's one way too to organize our information before we do a lecture or before we have a conversation that we think is going to be important for people to remember. How do we, how do we really just focus on that 30 second takeaway that people are going to walk away with? Yeah. I'm also, I was trying, I was flipping through trying to find it because I think it goes with what you're saying, but I think, I think it's 10. And if I get that wrong, you know, sorry. Uh, but I think it's your, your brain can only remember like 10 words at a time. And so when it talked about Mm -hmm. talking in like smaller chunks, right? So if you go on, you know, a, a 45 word rant at someone, they can only hang on to like 10 words at a time. And it gives you time to like build up your anger or whatever. And so forcing people to or yourself, they in the in the book they forced other people, but forcing yourself to okay, I'm going to speak in no more than ten word sentences at a time, particularly in like a, a conflict or something like that, right? Slows it down, and the other person can like grasp what's happening. Versus, I'm just going to go on, kind of like you said, it's easy to just go and dump on someone, you know, mm-hmm. um, but like really slowing it down. And I think that's that that concept has also helped me in public speaking or writing in terms of repeating things like you're saying. 30 seconds, but also like, it can't be like a huge long sentence that I squished into 30 seconds, right? Yeah. It has to be like something that can be remembered, which is like 10 or less words, you know? Yeah. 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 It's super. I mean, these little tips and tricks I think are just really useful because what it also does is it helps your brain reduce that internal dialogue. Cause so much of what we say, we are actually saying out of like anxiety or fear. Right. So if I feel like if I don't keep talking that somehow you'll stop being interested in me or I won't look like I know what I'm talking about. But actually, it's the opposite. People's brains want you to slow down. And so how do you train yourself in communication to say, it's okay if there's pauses while I'm communicating? Actually, it's going to better and more enhance this conversation. I don't have to keep speaking. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And even, I mean, I think Robert was just kind of touching on this too. Both of you were, but even just thinking about not trying to like having those pauses, but also when you you really try to reiterate those, like that main point, right? A certain number of times throughout your talk that makes it so that you don't have as much room to cram as much information in to the whole talk anyways, in the first place or into the whatever it is that you're writing. And I feel like I'm just reiterating some of what y'all were just saying, but it's just sinking in, <laughs> I guess. So, you know, we're, we're talking about this, about compassionate communication. And within the book, there's obviously these 12 different strategies. We've touched on a few of these, but are there any of them that, that you really want to elevate or really encourage our listeners to be thinking about um, and unpack them a little bit? Is that I think this is part of that chapter where it says reflect on your deepest values. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Was, so one of the things that they say for compassionate communication that I have actually put into practice is if before I'm going to walk into a conversation um, with that with somebody that maybe I don't like or somebody that's really upset me, I should ask myself before I even walk into that conversation, what are three things about this person that I do value? And I really just let my brain think about what are these three things that I value about this relationship or about this person. And then when I walk into that conversation, my brain is oriented towards seeing that person as valuable rather than seeing them as a problem or, or a conflict. And I just remember that little thing. I was like, wow, that is so powerful. 
And how often do we actually do that? And how much more beneficial would it be? Because we all know like nobody, well, most of us don't like conflict. Most of us don't like um, dealing with things that are perhaps going to hurt people's feelings. So this is a really great way to walk into that conflict. Another thing that they give in that chapter, I think it too, is to actually have the conversation in practice while looking at an empty chair. So before um, I talk to my mom, perhaps about something that she does that I think is really controlling, I pretend that my mom is sitting in this empty chair and I face that empty chair and I have the conversation that I would like to have with her as like a role play before I actually call her on the phone. And that helps the conversation to go better as well. That's really good. Yeah. Even the what you were just talking about of approaching the person as someone that I value versus like a problem or, or that it reminds me there's tons of research on expectations. So if you, mm-hmm. you know, if a teacher views somebody as a problematic student, they do worse, but like because of that expectation and you treat people differently and it gets into some like polyvagal theory in terms of if I'm expecting a fight with you, then I'm going to hear things in a combative way and I'm more geared up to fight. And so like, it just kind of creates this thing. So I love that. I think that's so good. Yeah. And so how can we then perhaps as the other party in that conversation disarm somebody who is walking in, assuming that we are going to be a problem, right? So what things can we do or say that would disarm that original intent that they are walking into the conversation with? And one of the chapters in there, um, observing nonverbal cues talks about that as well, being conscious of the nonverbal body language and gestures that I'm sending to somebody. Like, I think, I can't even remember where I first read this, but people who show you their ear while talking to you, you then assume that that person is listening. Even though there might not be a correlation between whether or not you can see their ear and whether or not they're actually listening, just because that's that's something that you can now do, though, in a conversation is just tilt your head and show your ear and people then walk away feeling like, wow, I really felt heard. But what they did, what happened was a nonverbal cue that they're that they were able to internalize and say, oh, this person's listening to me. Well, maybe you were, maybe you weren't. Huh? Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, I do want to create a little bit of space too. You know, I, I recognize, I want to be, pay attention to time, but I, I do recognize that you have a new book that's going to be coming out. I don't remember how far out it is, but I know you have a new book that's going to be coming out at some point in the future. Do you want to talk a little bit about your new book that's going to be coming out? Yeah. So I am super excited about this book. It's called, It's Not Your Turn, Walking with Patience in a Race Toward Instant. And essentially I wrote it, I actually could not have written this book had I not gone through the last five years of my life where I felt like God was mishearing me or not answering my prayers or, and then you look at everybody else. I remember one time I was trying to find a full-time job in academia and here I had just felt like, man, like, Lord, I did everything right. Like I stayed, I never took a break off school. I had almost a 4.0 GPA. Like I poured my heart and soul in this and then I can't find a job. Um, and one of my, at the same time, one of my best friends called me and was like, Heather, you're not going to believe it. I just got hired with NASA. I'm a recruiter for literally NASA. And I remember just being like, wow, I'm so happy for you. Right. But inside I'm like, Oh, like God, like you are listening to everybody's prayers except mine and, and just feeling so defeated. And I literally just heard a voice in my head that said, Heather, it's not your turn. 
And from those experiences where I would just have to say to myself out loud, Heather, it's not your turn, but that doesn't mean that your turn's not coming. It's just not your turn right now. And who you are right here in this space when it is not your turn is preparing and laying the groundwork for who you are going to be when it is. So how you treat people, the secret conversations that you have, the way that you roll your eyes when somebody else is, is, being, is experiencing success, like these things matter. And how are you able to appreciate and clap for people even when it's not your turn? We expect that out of children and yet something happens to us as adults where we don't think it applies to us anymore. And so I realized, I, I felt like I was hindering a lot of my own prayers through jealousy and through a sense of like just urgency, like thinking that things had to happen immediately or else they weren't happening. And so what happened in my own life was God, it, I had to experience a God of, of silence and a God of process. I think we value the product, but God values the process. God knows it is the process that will change the product. And so I had to go through this journey over the last five years of just embracing the process and allowing myself to be happy for people if they were succeeding, even in areas that I thought I should be succeeding in and I wasn't. Um, and it was, it was a really mm. transformative process for me spiritually. And I think just as a human being, I think I, I think I'm a better person because of all the, the, the times that I had to watch God say no to the prayers that I was praying. I really think it changed me from the inside out. And I want to um, share with people how what I've learned and the, the experiences that I went through and the choices that I started making, how those things I think better prepared me for a lot of what God is opening up in my life right now. Yeah. Man, that's good. That's I awesome. cannot wait for that to come out. Do yeah. You, when when about it should folks be expecting that to to be released? I know it's a I think it's a little ways off, right? Yeah, it won't be till next year. That's awesome. Well, we'll bring you I'm sure we'll be bringing you back on to talk about that book when it comes out. But for our listeners just, you know, heads up look get, you know, be on the lookout for that book. Yeah, I've, I've just met so many people who I think really struggle with jealousy and we just don't name it, you know? Mm. And so it's been so yeah. helpful for me to even just say out loud, oh, like I'm jealous right now. Like I, the emotion that I'm experiencing is jealousy. And how is that hindering my ability to connect with this person or to even value the art or the content mm. that they're putting out? Yeah. You know, before we wrap up here, I do want to ask, in all that you do, because you do so many things, right? You teach communication and you write online, you write books, you have a number of books. What's your hope for all of it? Oh, wow. You know, I, my hope for myself is that I can be a more whole human being. That's, that's kind of the focus of my journey right now is how can I be whole? And then I want to give people the wholeness as I find it. Right. So realizing that I don't like I can be whole even when things aren't going well, because the more connected I am to just even this human experience, which is ups and downs, the more I can step back and be like, hey, like this makes me more whole of a human being. And this this like rejection that I'm experiencing right now that is very painful also is making me more wholly connected to God. So this space is not a bad space and it's okay for me to go through this season. And in fact, it's only going to make me more whole for when I get to where I'm going. So I think that's kind of what I want people um, who go through my work or just have relationship with me to experience is just this idea of 
of wholeness and that you can find wholeness even here. Like you can, even when you are not where you want to be going, like wholeness exists for you right here. And the more that we allow ourselves to just kind of sink into that, I think the more gratitude we're able to experience, the more empathetic we end up becoming. Oh, yeah. Gosh, that's good. Hey, listener, if you want to connect with Heather, you can find her at heatherthompsonday.com on Twitter or Instagram at heatherthompsonday or on facebook.com slash author heatherthompsonday. You can also buy any of her previous books wherever you buy books. Um, if you want to connect with Holly, you can find her on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Holly Oxhandler or hollyoxhandler.com. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on any social media at Robert Vore or at robert-vore.com. Heather, thank you so much for coming back yeah. for a second time. Yes. It was better even than the first. Agreed. So maybe we just chalk the first one up to a trial run. But thank you for being willing to do that. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners today? Um, I uh, I don't. I'm sorry. My brain went off. <laughs> no, that's okay. – hey, it's quarantine yeah. brain and all that. So like, not a problem. But thank you. That's what I can say. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the CXMH Podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com. 